hi everyone welcome to the overeaters anonymous special focus recovery from relapse meeting today is tuesday the 15th of february 2022 and we are delighted to have our speaker helen m with us helen is originally from newcastle in the northeast of england and is currently living in stockport england Helen came into the rooms of OA around 1984. So uh, Helen, it's over to you to share your experience, strength, and hope. Take it away. Thank you so much. I'm just going to pause for a moment and say the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And I've got a little add-on. Grant me patience with the changes that take time. Appreciation of all that I have. Tolerance of those with other struggles and the strength to get up and try again one day at a time. Enjoying one moment to get at a time and trusting divine guidance, divine timing and divine order. And so it is. It is done. It is done. It is done. And I let it be so. And may my higher powers words help someone somewhere. Amen. Okay, right. My name is Helen. I'm a recovering compulsive eater. And I'm delighted to have this opportunity to share my experience, my strength and my hope and hope that it may help someone who's here just now. There's so, so many bits in the big book that I could have picked out to, to share with you, but I'm going to start by um, reflecting upon what it was like, what we used to be like, what happened and what we are like now. What I used to be like was I believed that I was unlovable. I've got um, a twin brother and I have a younger sister. And as a, as a little one, my, my younger sister is 18 months younger than me. And when she was born, or soon after she was born, the thought came into my mind, well, why does my mum want another little girl? Does she not love me? And all through my life, growing up and, and my adult life, I never believed that I was good enough. I believed I was unlovable, hateful, different, never fitted in. My dad's job meant that we travelled around quite a lot. He, he changed had to change like different locations during his working life and I found that extremely difficult changing schools and trying to make friends and stuff and part of my story is that when I was in primary school I think you would call it elementary school I was about seven or eight years old and the headmaster wanted to keep me in in its break time a little boy had, had soiled himself and he was sitting next to me. He was sent out of the classroom, but this man wanted to keep me in. And I know that he wanted to abuse me. And somehow, somehow, 
I got out of that situation, which indicates that even at such a tender age, my higher power was there looking out for me. But when I came out of school that day, my mum was busy with my little sister. She was crying. And the thought from somewhere came, oh, I'll just go home and have something to eat. And I know that's when my sowing, my, um, the seed was sown for my compulsive eating. It feels, it feels so, so long ago, but that, yeah, that's who I was. I just believed I was unlovable and, and all those negative things. Um, when I hit puberty, I, I was never, I was never fat as, as a little girl. When I hit puberty, um, that was a sad occasion as well. I, I remember my first period and we'd moved to Manchester from a little village and we brought a little puppy dog with us and went out one Saturday and this little dog was, was run over by a car and had to be put down. And I came home that day and I had my first period. And that wasn't a day of celebration. It was it was a day of mourning. And all these little things that happened to me compounded the belief that I was that I was unlovable, that I wasn't worthy of love. And this this I carried all through my adult life. I left home at 18, took up nursing. <clears throat> lived in like, you know, nurses accommodation and flats and stuff. And that was when my eating stepped up a gear. I would, my time for eating was in the middle of the night. I would get up and, and eat. I would steal food from flatmates. I would steal food from the fridge in the nurses home. I would steal food from relatives. And again, that compounded my belief that I was hateful. I went to diet clubs, I had um, reflexology, I had allergy testing, but nothing, nothing worked, nothing worked because today I know and believe in my heart that I am powerless over food and that is something that will be with me until my dying day because I'm a compulsive eater. I have that mental twist, that allergy, that abnormal reaction to, to sugar and, and to white flour. If I had one morsel in my mouth, then then I'm I'm a goner. Then I'm a goner. And I was I was just thinking last night, relapse. I was breaking the word down to relapse. A lapse is a, well, a gap, if you like, in my um behaviour regarding my program. I've got to keep my program on the ball every minute of every day. I've got to give my life to God every second, every minute, every day, because without that power that's greater than me, I'm I'm lost, I'm absolutely lost. And it's taken me a long, long time to get to, get to that point. But I don't regret anything that happened to me because that, that was part of my journey. Um, I'm just going to pick out some book, some bits from the big book that I felt were pertinent as, as I was reading, wondering what to say today. 
And even on, before you actually get into the, the text of this book, um, forward to the first edition, this is um, We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And that's why I'm sitting here telling my story to you guys. And I don't even know any of you. Well, I know, I know a couple of people, but that does not matter because I am a compulsive eater doing my best to get well. Everything that I need to do that is in this big book. And that with that power grace in myself, I can achieve miracles. I feel I'm stepping backwards and forwards, but, but one miracle that is evident for me at the moment is that I can be present for my eldest daughter. I've got two daughters. One is 42 and one is 40 this year. <clears throat> when I was pregnant with my, my older daughter, I was so scared. I thought, oh God, what if, what if it's a little, what if it's a little girl? Because the thing that I missed from my mum when I was growing up was kisses and cuddles, demonstrative love. And I, I was so, so frightened if I had a little girl, would I continue this cycle? Would I continue this cycle? And yes, I did when I was eating compulsively because even with my two pregnancies, um, second one in particular, when my weight went up and my blood pressure was high, I was told to watch what I was eating. And even that couldn't stop me from eating compulsively. So when I was pregnant with my first daughter and then I had a little girl, I thought, oh, bloody hell, I was, I was so, so frightened that I would never be able to show her love and, and all the negative, negative emotions that would sit in my head. And today, that is not my truth. I've had that spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. She is going through a tough time at the moment. She, she her partner passed away on the, oh, can't even remember, the 24th of January. She's currently come back home living, living with me. And were it not for my programme, she wouldn't have a chance of me being able to help her, but my programme is allowing me to do that by letting her feel her feelings and not trying to fix it because this is something I can't fix, but what I can do is be present for her. And that is such a gift, such a gift. And to reach that point, it says it says in, in the big book, um, chapter three, more about more about alcoholism. This this is this is what this is what happened to me to begin my journey of recovery. Most of us had been unwilling to admit to our sorry, I'll start again. Most of us have been willing to most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics, compulsive eaters. 
No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterised by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And this, this is absolutely spot on. We learned we had to concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no one ever, sorry, we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any, considerable, over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. And I had so, so, so many vain countless attempts of trying to control my eating. I went to diet clubs. I had um, reflexology. I remember going to one diet club, which was an exercise group as well. I went to see a psychiatrist, had to keep food diaries. I never, I never was honest with these people because I was, I wasn't unable to be honest to myself. Um, I married my hubby in 1975. I met him on the blind date and I was like a little mouse. And we went, I remember, I remember so clearly, we went out and said nothing, said nothing. And this, I was living in a, nurse, a nursing home at the time, a nurse's home, sorry, and men were not allowed into this place. They had to be out. And the first night that I met him, I said, do you want to come in? Do you want to stay with me? I hope this doesn't offend anybody. Um, so I thought, well, if, if I have sex with him, he might want to see me again. And we were married 40, over 40, 41 years. He called me his sunshine. He saw my light when I couldn't see it. Because the fat and all the crazy emotions were, were in the way. I put him through hell. I turned his back on him. I turned my back on him many times in the bedroom. I, but he saw my light. And it's only because of him that I'm sitting here today talking to you guys. Because I've worked my 12 steps. And 
had a spiritual awakening and doing my best to carry this message to other people because I know that is what it is all about. That must be the heart of my program because if I'm not carrying the message, sooner or later the food is going to appear more attractive to what I've got. Oh, I'll just have one and then I'll be a goner. I mean, I was, ne I was never grossly obese, that but I was I was dead inside, absolutely dead inside. And each time I picked up, I was committing suicide just that little bit more. And it seems a lifetime away, but it's not. It's only one bite away. One of my most vivid recollections is going, we used to have a little a sweet shop around the corner. And I went round to this sweet shop one, one winter's night. It was freezing, freezing cold. Got me fixed of sugar went out into the back garden and was crouching, crouching down, shoving this food in, shoving this food in, because I didn't know what else to do. I never learned in my formative years how to, how to behave as an adult. The food was always there. And the food ultimately became my enemy. And... I, even though I went to my first meeting in 1984, the first meeting I knew I'd come home, but it took me a long, long time to concede to my innermost self that I was a compulsive eater and I needed that power grace in myself. I worked some of the steps to the best of my ability. I had some sponsors, but I never moved beyond step nine because. I didn't believe in my heart that I was a compulsive. Well, I knew I was a compulsive, but I didn't believe in my heart that this was something I would never, ever, ever, ever be able to manage on my own. Um, I, I went at one point. I went to something called See How, which was I think it was compulsive eaters anonymous how, and that was a very structured, structured program, and. I lost weight then, but I was I was like the dry drunk. Um, but today, I don't need to live like that anymore. I approached my my current sponsor um, at a face 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 meeting. It was just before the pandemic, and asked her to be my sponsor. Um, I've been absent since April the 5th, 2000, and that, that is remarkable. And as I said, part of my journey is, well, the great, great, great part of my journey was the, the love that my hubby held for me. Um, he passed away in 2016. He fought long and hard. He had cancer. And he, he was he was so, so, so selfless. Even going to the hospital, he would see people say, well, I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as bad as them. And oh, even in his passing, he was selfless because 
that was one of my fears. I don't want to be with him when he takes his last breath. But I, I absolutely know, no, no, that. My sitting here is, is his legacy because I'm learning to love myself. I never did that before. Never did I do that before. Sometimes I can look at myself in the mirror and say, say hello, gorgeous, I love you. Um, Plus my train of thought. Oh, there, let me just share this with you because this this was so 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 important. I'm just getting confused with my Roman numerals. Bear with me a minute. It, it doesn't matter. It just talk somewhere about um. Oh. oh, let me see if I can find it. No matter, no matter. It just I spotted somewhere about um the message of the big book reaching reaching. Far and wide, if you like, and and this pandemic for me has just made me value and realise how important the common problem is and the common solution, and that distance does not matter because I'm the same as you guys. I'm no better. I'm no worse. I'm a compulsive eater trying to get well, and to feel that connection even through a screen, is absolutely miraculous. And one of the things that I try to do each day is to, um, from you know, pages 84, talking about 10, um, 10, 11 and 12, 10 and 11, I beg your pardon. Um, <clears throat> this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. And this is the crux. This is what I must do, otherwise my emotions go crazy. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. But that must begin with love and tolerance of me. Because if, if I'm not... Give, I'm giving myself those things, how can I give it to anybody else? I can't be an empty vessel. I've got to have something to give. And these um, 
10 and 11 keep me closer to my higher power. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do for alcoholism, a subtle foe, subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How best can I serve thee? Thy will must not mine be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. And as well, as well um, the, the passage the, with the instructions, when we, when we retire at night and on awakening, um, I, I try to read this each day. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no request for ourselves. However, I did it. Sorry. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful never. And are careful to make no request for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to, my, to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, and, and self-pity and foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily. If we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. Five minutes left. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to finish in a minute. Thank you. Thank you. And just, just the uh, the beginning of um, working with others, chapter um, seven. Again, th this is the crux of it. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. And that just gave me goosebumps. That loneliness. Oh, my goodness. I was so, I was, was so, so lonely. So, so lonely. And I'm going to leave it there because I feel I've um, said enough and give you guys a chance to, to speak as well. But thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to um, share some of my experience, strength and hope. And God bless and love you all. Pass. Mm, thank you so much, Helen. Thank you for sharing your journey, your experience, strength and hope. 
And I would just like to add something from um, the big book. Um, it's a, a story, uh, The Keys to the Kingdom. And um, uh, this is page 275. AA is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. It's a way of life. And the challenge contained in, in, the, in its principles is great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as he lives. We do not, cannot outgrow this plan. As arrested alcoholics, we must have a program for living that allows for limitless expansion. Keeping one foot in front of the other is essential for maintaining our arrestment. Others may idle in a retrogressive groove without too much danger, but retrogression can spell death for us. However, this isn't as rough as it sounds, as we do become grateful for the necessity that makes us toe the line. And we find that we are compensated for a consistent effort by the countless dividends we receive. And thank you for sharing all your dividends with us today, Helen.